house. All right, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. I'm going to start with verse 14. Verse 14. And you'll understand how significant this is by the end of the message today. Verse 14, the Bible says, Then Jesus returned. I love that. I get stuck here for 20 minutes and then have to skip half my message. But if I were you, I would highlight that and I would underline that, that you serve a Savior that doesn't get stuck anywhere. The Bible says, then Jesus returned. He returned to Galilee. I highlighted this too because it just made me excited. Filled with the Holy Spirit and, and power, by the way, uh, because if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you should exhibit the Spirit's power. It, it's a contradiction to say you're filled with the Spirit and never lead anybody to Jesus and sit by yourself in church every week. I'm just speaking in tongues, evil in English. Some of y'all heard me say that before. You know how to speak in tongues. You just don't know how to talk to your waitress. Oh, come on, somebody. All right, anyways. Reports about him spread quickly. Why? Why did reports spread quickly? Because he was filled with the Spirit's power. And the physical evidence of being filled with the Spirit's power is that you have a prayer language, but the spiritual evidence that you're filled with the Spirit's power is that you spread the Word of God everywhere you go. The Word of God reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. All right, so he travels from this region of Galilee, for, for Louisiana, Acadiana, to a specific place, Iota. You're welcome. Threw you a bone this week. <laughs> Mamu, it's not happening. Sorry. <laughs> That's funny, right? I don't care. All right. Anyway. So he goes to Nazareth, and the Bible says he walks into the synagogue in Nazareth, verse 17. And now, now, now Dr. Luke begins to, like, write out the scene. Like, we have this picture. The Bible says the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. Now, why they handed it to him, we don't know. But somebody walked up and was like, hey, here's the scroll. He's like, all right. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is a popular passage. Please don't drift out here just because you've heard this passage before. Because the Word of God is not just alive and revelational the first time you read it. It's, a, it's, a, it's available, it's applicable, and it's alive Every time you read it, okay? So the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, says the Lord. And he has anointed me. We need the anointing. He has anointed. If we've ever needed the anointing, we need the anointing. Thank you for those four amens. You'll get it by the end. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be, they will be released. Not that captives hope to be, but captives will be released. That the blind will see. That's physical and spiritual. Because God is not limited to one or the other. He created all three. Come on, if he can save a soul, he can heal a body. How, when, he wants to, to his glory. That the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor, oh, come on, it's not coming. It has come. Like, it, it already came. So he's not just on his way, he's here, which is what I preached last week. The time of the Lord's favor has come. 
Verse 20. And then he jumped up and shouted, spun around three times, slapped five people, ran past the chairs and to the back of the room. Nope, nope, that's not what happened. The Bible says, then he rolled up the scroll and he went and sat down. And when he sat down, everybody looked at him. Like y'all are looking at me right now. And that room got awkward. Everybody's like. They're just staring at him. And nobody even said anything. Because they weren't weird. <laughs> they weren't Pentecostal yet. They didn't know how to talk back. All the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Verse 21. So then he decided to speak again. And then he says this. The scripture that you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. I'm, I came to tell you that we're not celebrating next weekend what's going to be. We are celebrating what's already been done. It's already finished. It's already accomplished. The day and the time of the Lord's favor, it's here. The scripture has been fulfilled this very day. For the next 25 minutes, or maybe a little more, I wanna preach a message. I believe that the Holy Spirit told me to tell the church called I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And I don't just believe that it's Jesus coming back, I believe that it's anybody connected to Jesus. In other words, it doesn't matter where the enemy throws you or what the enemy's thrown you through. If you're in Christ, if he returned, you can return. Oh, I got to get into it or I'm going to get stuck today. This past week on more than one occasion, actually about four different times, I had the opportunity or I sensed the urge specifically to explain or give a reason, okay, of why I have put my faith in Jesus. I mean, because I didn't, I didn't choose to put my faith in Charles Darwin and evolution, I didn't choose to put my faith in Allah through Muhammad. I didn't choose to put my faith in an angel named Moroni that showed up in a cave to Joseph Smith and, and follow the path of Mormonism. I, I chose to put my faith in Jesus. Why, though? Why? Because many people, Especially in the Bible Belt and, and Louisiana, the Southern Bible Belt specifically. Louisiana is like the buckle of the Bible Belt. Come on. And the Bible Belt's buckle is shaped like an L. And it's just, we are right there in the middle of it all. I mean, you got the Southern Baptists up north. You got the Pentecostals, right? Did you know that the, the uh, Pentecostal church in Alexandria had 34 million views on a worship video not too long ago? That's nuts. Happy Louisiana. Come on, somebody. Then you kind of got Catholic and everything else down south. But either way, we all hold approximately the same Bible. And a lot of people say they believe in Jesus, and they can tell you what they believe. But why? Why do you believe in Jesus? If I gave you 30 seconds to tell somebody why you believe in Jesus, they're dead in 30 seconds, and you kind of scoff. Well, man, that's an intense example. No, it's happened to me. I had 30 seconds to lead somebody to Jesus. And if you're not ready, then they miss eternity because you're not prepared. 30 seconds. 
Why do you believe in Jesus? You know what's sad? We have people that attend services their entire lives. They're listening to sermons every week. They almost drifted out because I read a scripture that was so familiar to them that they could quote it themselves and they try to interrupt me quoting it, but it's lost its power because they're not proclaiming it to anybody and they can't tell anybody why they believe what they believe and we wonder why they don't want to believe what we say we believe. We've got to get to a place where we're able to give an account. So I'm challenging the church a week before Resurrection Sunday to write down this question and begin to figure out your answer. Why have I, not me, I know why. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a child of God. God made me a child of God first, and then he led me to become a pastor by position. I'm not even a pastor by gifting. She's a pastor by gifting. She likes people. I love people. I've developed a pastor's heart for people. But she likes, like when, when people text her randomly, she's like, oh. People text me randomly, like, what? <laughs> it's, God's molding. He's helping me, okay? I really do care about people, but that is all Jesus. I can't take credit for that. I have discovered through observation, and I am discovering through examination I've tried a lot of things. Listen, don't tell people that you serve Jesus because you'd be dead without him. You may be dead without him. You were dead without him. But that's not why you serve Jesus. Don't tell people that you serve Jesus because he just made everything so much better. Because he might make it worse. He's going to do to you whatever needs to be done so that you become purified as the sun is pure. Don't tell Jesus, don't tell people that you serve Jesus just because you wanted to live better or be better, because the last time I checked, the military does a great job with that. And, and by the way, if I'm not, just because I kind of threw them under the bus a minute ago, I was driving through Minden a couple of weeks ago, I saw these two 19-year-old, 20-year-olds maybe, these little guys in white shirts, sleeve, sleeves up, the short sleeves, and a tie. They would refer to themselves as elders. I'm like, you 19, son, how you gonna call yourself an elder? Anyways, <laughs> but they're walking down the road in my hometown doing a better job of spreading what they believe than the church that supposedly serves a God that was resurrected from the dead. Church, why do Muslims pray to their dead God more than most Christians pray to the one who is alive and well? There's something wrong. And we're taking for granted what God wants to use us to accomplish. We're more focused on the American dream than we are the kingdom of God. That's why we get offended every time God asks us for some of our finances. <laughs> if that's ever happened, to you, it's happened to me. God had to hone those things out of me. Why have I put my faith in Jesus? Let me give you three reasons today why I personally have put my faith in Jesus. Number one, because Jesus is the only way. He's not just a better way. He's not, he's not even just the best way. It's not like if I serve him, it's going to all work out way better for me. That's not why I serve him. This is not about my best life now. I'm not against the book. I think it was a good book. I read the book. It was encouraging. Made me feel better. Mainly about myself, which is always a little dangerous. I'm, not, I, I'm a fan of purpose-driven life. I, I, I understand. I mean, we're, we believe we're supposed to discover purpose, that we should know Jesus, find freedom, and then discover purpose. And that's part of what God created us for, to accomplish his will for our lives. I'm not against those things. 
But I don't serve Jesus because he is a better way or even because he's the best way that I could think of. No, I serve Jesus because he's the only way. Okay, hear me, hone in, let me teach a minute. The, the call to Christianity is all-inclusive. It is an inclusive call, okay? Jesus didn't designate uh, ethnicity or demographic or upbringing, or I grew up in Minden, Louisiana, a certain side of the tracks, or Eunice, Louisiana, who went to which prom until 2004. My bad, that one hurt. No, I didn't mean to hit you like that. I was just giving you an example. It's amazing, we say we believe in the same God, we just can't love one another. When Jesus said, you will know that they are my disciples by their love for one another. I put my faith in Jesus because it's an all-inclusive opportunity. However, hear me, hear me. It is a very ex exclusive claim. In other words, there is not a spider web pattern into the kingdom of God. Like all roads, this is secular humanism. Come on, this is Unitarianism. All roads lead to the Father. All roads lead to the higher power. Stop calling my daddy a higher power. And by the way, stop calling my daddy the big man upstairs. He's not the big man upstairs. He's a perfectly holy heavenly father who deserves my utmost reverence and respect. That's who he is. But I don't serve him because I just decided, well, this would be the best way to try to get to heaven or the best way to try to get to God. Remember last week I preached this message. Jesus came forward saying, yay. The word that nobody was supposed to say. He said, I am. Yahweh, it's me. That's why in, in, in Luke chapter 4, if you keep reading, they tried to throw him off a cliff when he claimed to be God because they accused him of blasphemy in his hometown. The people he grew up with were ready to throw him off a cliff. And the Bible says, so he disappeared in the crowd. That must have been funny. Oh, oh. <laughs> to see the dude that was about to, this is what it was. And he just disappears. He, he, he's gone. Why? Because he wasn't ready to die. Because it was on his terms. And his claim was exclusive. He said this, yay, I am the way. EA, I am the truth. Listen to me, truth is not relative. And truth is not dependent upon the education or the enlightenment of a certain generation. Don't go back to the days of Rome and call it intelligent. We've already been there. Jesus entered into that scene when they were confused about their identity and they thought that they could choose who they were attracted to but they had no choice over how they affiliated. My bad. We've already done that. It was called the days of the Roman Empire. By the way, Roman Empire, I don't want that to happen to America. Jesus said, I am the truth. It's not relative. It's not subject. It's objective. I am. So, so the truth is not a thing. The truth is a person. And then he said, I am the life. Then he said this. This is why you can't just believe that Jesus was a good dude. He was either... Uh, the triumphant, right? The, the great discussion and conversation brought uh, up by C.S. Lewis and, and re-communicated re by Josh McDowell. He was either a liar 
an absolute lunatic or he was Lord. Because he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So here's what Jesus was saying. I am the only way. There is no other way. I wish that there were for all these people that think that there is, but there's not. By the way, subnote, Pastor Weston pointed this out to me and, I, and I, I went and looked it up. Penn and Teller, I believe it was Penn that brought it up. Penn is an atheist. I taught this yesterday. Penn, as an atheist, said, if that's what you believe, hear me, church, if that's what you believe, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to not spend eternity in a God-forsaken hell where you're punished every day for the rest of your existence, and you keep that to yourself, then you, of all people, are the most selfish and hateful. An atheist said that. If we're not willing to get out of our comfort zone for the eternity of the people that God puts us around, then we are, of all people, are the most hateful and selfish. I believe in Jesus because he is the only way. Uh, let me lighten up a little bit. Amusingly, um, in 2006, February 2006, I married Jesus, for lack of a better term, because, because marriage is confessed through a covenant. Side note, I'm going to be careful. It doesn't matter where you get married. It doesn't matter who does your ceremony. I have a master's degree in theology. I'm ordained with the Assemblies of God. I can officiate your wedding, or the Justice of the Peace can officiate your wedding. We can do it right here in this building, or we can go do it on a dock over a pond. It doesn't matter where or when. You don't get to tell me what I can and can't do. I was ordained by God and the Assemblies of God, so now I have the authority to do and officiate an actual wedding. But the power of the wedding is not in where it is done or who officiates it. The power of the wedding is in the confession of the covenant. Okay, I got sticky there for a second. Some of y'all don't even know why I'm talking about that. I'm just making a point. If anybody wants to argue that, we can use the Bible to do it. <laughs> Anyways, so I got married to Jesus in 2006. And then for the next year, Megan and I learned how to stop cheating on Jesus and calling it love one another. You can't cheat on Jesus in that covenant then make another covenant with somebody else in his name and expect to be faithful. That's what's wrong with marriages. Now, I'm not, if you've done that, you can't go backwards. But you can repent. And you can confess and you can ask for forgiveness. I'm not here to condemn you today. I'm here for you to be convicted enough to confess your sins because he's faithful and just to forgive your sins. And now you can move forward in freedom instead of still having a window that the enemy likes to come in and out of and have access to you, your heart, and your house. So I married Jesus in 2006. And I learned over the next year how to stop cheating on him with her so that I would learn in 2008 how to be faithful to both. So I confessed my covenant. And I, as I confessed the cup, the longer I've been married to Jesus, the more I've learned about him. Kind of like when I married her in 2008. The longer I've been with her, the more I've learned about her. In fact, I had no idea until we were married. I thought everybody washed their hair every day. I know, right? Some of you guys, I'm about to teach you something. You don't even know this trick. I thought I washed my hair every single day. 
and I found out that most women, and this is a conversation in the office, I thought it was maybe just her, but I found out that most women only wash their hair about once every four to seven days. That's three or four times a month. That's disgusting. Like, it doesn't matter what they do, how much dust is blowing, how many people are spitting, how much sweat came out. They lay down on their pillow right there at night and rest easy. I'm over here scrubbing the day off of my dome. You know what I mean? She's already asleep. I didn't know that women don't wash their hair. I just, I just didn't know that. I, somebody sent me a study one time, and it was a study about all of the things that they did when they scraped a beard and they looked into the study and how, and how dirty beards were. I was like, I'm telling you right now, this beard is washed every single day. This beard is cleaner than 90% of the heads of the women that go to church every Sunday. I'm telling you right now, this is a clean beard. I shampooed and conditioned it in the name of Jesus. I didn't know that. You know what she didn't know? She didn't know that the end of the bed was the sweet spot for the things I wasn't finished wearing. Come on, that's the safe place right there. Why do you think we tuck in the sheets? That's so we can hide stuff we want to put back on later. Pick it up, all the stuff falls out. Why are you moving my stuff? Why is it there? That's what we just learned about one another, right? Like, if you want to wear something new, but it needs to air out a little bit, you don't put it in the dirty clothes hamper. You lay it over the side. You let it air out. You might wear that to the gym the next day. Turn it inside out. It's clean. Come on, if you don't have to wash your dirty hair, I can turn a shirt inside out. Come on, somebody. <laughs> That's funny right there. That's North Louisiana funny. I was just... And the longer I've been married to Jesus, you know what else I learned about her? I learned that when God told her in 2018, there's more in you, that she was gonna accomplish it and she was gonna work it out. I learned that what we thought was just her writing a declaration for our children every day on the way to school is now gonna be confessed next fall by 80 students a week. I learned that God has a plan and he has a purpose and his way is the, it's not just a better way, it's like her, for me, for the rest of my life. The will of God for my life and my children is tied to her because I confess the covenant. The will of God for her, for me, for our children, and for you, for the rest of my life is tied to him because I confess the covenant. Number two, I have found, this is why I put my faith in Jesus, that he is true to his word. Every aspect of it. Over 3,000 promises from Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between. He is true to his word. Watch this, John chapter two. I gotta hurry up. On account of this, the Jews demanded, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do these things? No, verse 19, Jesus answered, oh, you want a sign? Oh, listen, hear me. I'm not saying he won't give you a sign. I'm just saying I'm not sure that that's where you need to go with him. Because sometimes if you need a sign in order to believe, then whenever he gives the sign, you'll just doubt the sign that you needed because you're not actually doubting the sign. You're actually doubting the provision of God and the person 
and the provider that he is. I'm not saying he won't give you one. I'm just saying it didn't work out too well for them. Jesus looks back at him, he says, I'll give you a sign. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. In verse 20, the Bible says, they respond. This temple took 46 years to build. Sounds like some overzealous patriots, right? We, this, this nation took 200 years to build. You're going to tear it down in one administration. Hold on. Who built this country? Us. Who's allowed all these things to take place? 46 years to build this temple. The Jews replied, and you're going to raise it up in three days. Verse 21, but Jesus was not speaking about the physical temple or a building. He was speaking of the temple of his body. In other words, he wasn't focused on temporary earthly things. He has always been focused on eternal spiritual things. Verse 22, after he was raised from the dead, after he was raised from the dead, don't you think they look back and say, like, man, we should have really believed this sooner. <laughs> we almost waited too long. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that we tend to only believe God in retrospect? After he, was after he came through, we have to apologize for all the complaining. After he came through, we have to confess and ask for forgiveness for all of the doubting. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that his word is still faithful and true. And the Bible says, and then... They believed. Then they believed the scripture. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's the son of God. Sorry. And the word that Jesus had spoken. I'll try not to overpreach this. I just think it needs to simmer and settle into our soul today. If they believed then, then we can believe now. If they believed then, Jesus, let's just keep reading. Matthew uh, Matthew, 20, Matthew 16, verse 21. The Bible says, from that time on, Jesus began to show. You remember I told you I married Jesus in 2006? From February 2006 to today, Jesus has been revealing himself to me. If he'd have revealed it all to me at once, I'd have hid. If he'd have told me everything that he was gonna have us do five and a half years ago, I'd have probably stayed in Chandler. <laughs> Because it is bigger than me. But from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and that he must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. Jesus spent three years. He told them. Guys, what we're going to celebrate next weekend. Jesus spent three years telling people, I'm going to die. You're not going to die. I, I, I rebuke you, Satan. Get thee behind me. Man, I think he's serious. <laughs> I'm going to die. They're going to bury me. But don't worry, because on the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead. Here's what Jesus did, just like he's doing today. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, this is who I am. Come on, guys, they're just getting set. It's a oh, good grief. Jesus said, this is who I am. I, this is what's happening. I see what's happening. You don't have to tell me anymore. I see it. But this is what I'm going to do about it. From that day to this day, Jesus said, this is who I am. This is what is happening. But this is what I'm going to do about it. 
In other words, if they could believe him for the resurrection, come on church, then we can believe him for the revelation. Don't wait until the revelation happens in order to begin to receive and believe what he said the revelation would be. Don't wait. If they could believe then, we can believe now. Matthew 26, verse 61. They declared, who's they? The Jews, the Romans, all the people that put him on the cross. This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. This is while he's on the cross. Can you imagine Jesus on the cross, people scoffing, spitting, slurring, cussing, cursing? This man said he'd destroy the temple in three days and raise it up again. Look at him now. Jesus is up there like, you better help. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they say, much less do. And Jesus said that to you every time that you doubted his word in your life. Hear me, listen. Every time that God wants to take you somewhere, the enemy will send you somebody to try to distract and deny what God has already declared over you. Every single time. Every time that I have seen somebody take a few steps to God, I see the enemy send somebody to try to get in their way. That's why David wrote, blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the path of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. In other words, when the devil sends somebody and puts them in your path to distract you from what God has already declared that you are and that you have and that you can be, then all you gotta do is walk around them. Don't stop and listen, don't sit with them, don't receive their counsel, don't stand there any longer. Let that evil go one in here and back out the other and let it return back to them sevenfold because you got somewhere to be. The devil always sends somebody to deny and distract what God has declared over people. I can't preach this hard enough to keep your attention. I'll keep going Matthew 27, 40. And they kept on. This is a chapter later, Jesus still hanging on the cross. You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself, you stupid Christians. Save yourself, followers of Jesus. Who, where were the followers of Jesus? They weren't there. They scattered like ants because it didn't go their way, kind of like the church did in 2020. Remember that time we were running 700 people a week in January, flourishing on all cylinders, and we closed for two months, and we couldn't get 400 people to come back in May? <laughs> he said it was going to happen. It shouldn't surprise us. Guys, 2020 were birth pains compared to what's coming. I read it in the book. I've already seen it. And the scoffers and the deniers and the doubters and the disobedient, come on, and the distractors and the discouragers, they will always be there. Hey, if you're really a follower of Jesus, why don't you save yourself? If you're really the son of God, come down from the cross. Listen to me, friend. Jesus never promised that the cross wouldn't be there. He never promised he was going to get off the cross. 
He never promised that the cross would not get heavy. Come on, somebody. He never promised that you weren't going to have to carry it and deny every ounce of your flesh all the way up the hill of Golgotha. He never promised that there would be a, there would not be a valley. He never promised that there wouldn't be any tribulation and or temptation. Well, I just don't understand why God made me that way. God didn't make you that way. You are fallen and evil in every way. God knew that you were going to be that way. But the difference between Christianity and every other system of faith is God didn't leave you that way. He knew that you couldn't be who he is. So he came down and he did it for you. So when the devil had him on the cross and all the people were hollering at him, save yourself, son of God, come down off the cross. Jesus didn't look back, but I wish he would have. And he looked down and say, oh, don't you worry. I'm coming back. You may think you have me now. Hang on, let me keep going. John chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. If Jesus didn't want to die, he wouldn't have died. If Jesus didn't want to live holy, he wouldn't have lived holy. If Jesus would have wanted to establish an earthly kingdom, then he wouldn't mind us complaining about the economy incessantly more than we do share the gospel to those who are perishing. Oh, come on, we can't be more focused on the temporary than we are the transformation. Come on, somebody. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Watch this. He said, I have authority. I have authority. Listen, if he has authority, then I in him am anointed. Come on, somebody. I can walk in the anointing because he has the authority. And how many of you understand that we have never needed the anointing of a holy heavenly father who gave us his spirit to walk in and accomplish his will? Then we need it now. I have the authority to lay down my life and oh, I'm so glad it didn't stop right there or we'd just be another foolish set of people serving a dead man. And I have the authority to raise it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So I believe. Why do I believe in Jesus? Because I believe that Jesus is the only way to accomplish God's will. I believe that Jesus is the only way to have relationship with the Father. I believe that Jesus is the only way to enter into the kingdom after I pass from this life into the next. But hear me. If Jesus did not raise himself from the dead, then we of all people should be most pitied because we are wasting our lives. I'm wasting your money. I'm wasting our time. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, and Paul said it this way, if our hope in the resurrection is just for this life, then we should be, of all people, most pitied by everybody. Like People should feel sorry for us if our hope in Jesus' resurrection is just for this temporary life. So I would say I'd take it even further because Paul never had to prove the resurrection. Oh, I got to teach it a little. See, they started proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus within 50 days. Within 50 days of his resurrection, they stood up in Jerusalem and told everybody, you might have killed him, but I saw him. And I got 500 witnesses that saw him too, even though only 120 of us did what he told us to. They started preaching that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead within six weeks 
six weeks of when they saw him crucified on the cross. Everybody saw him crucified. Everybody saw him put in a tomb. So what is easier to believe? Hear me, friend. What's easier to believe? That 11 uneducated, unpopular, uninfluential men pulled off the greatest hoax in human history and we're still reading about it 2,000 years later and willing to die for it? Or that Jesus Christ really raised from the dead? That they couldn't produce a body because he ascended into the heavens. There was no body to produce. See, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we don't have an answer for all the issues. But the reason that I have put my faith in Christ, why am I a follower of Jesus? Because I have examined and I have discovered that marriage does not work unless it's biblical. I have discovered in my short tenure that parenting produces prodigals if it's not biblical. I have seen that friends will run over one another and stab each other in the back just to get a step ahead if the friendship is not biblical. I have seen that moral absolutes are blurred by perverted preferences whenever the moral absolute is not God's holy word. I have seen the most financially fiscal people become bankrupt because they didn't know how to practice the principles and understanding that everything I have belongs to God. The reason I follow Jesus is because he's the only way. So, if Jesus did rise from the dead, then he is faithful and true. And as long as we're walking with him, then we're walking in the right direction. If Jesus did raise from the dead, then the doctors don't get to determine my days even though they give me a bad report. If Jesus did rise from the dead, then that word is true and the rest of this word is true. It's that the days of the righteous are numbered by the Lord and the enemy doesn't have access to anything unless I give him access to it. If Jesus did rise from the dead, Come on, then I'm not subject to the day's economy. I'm surrendered to Jehovah Jireh, who has a cattle on a thousand hilltops, whose righteous have never been forsaken, and children have never been left begging bread. All I need Jesus to do is sell one cow, and all the buildings that he asked me to build are paid for, no matter how high the interest rates are, or how much the building material is. As long as I'm obedient to the will of God, I can't mess the thing up. I have learned that as long as God is in control, then it doesn't matter what culture and or society say about what I do or do not believe, that my God has been faithful for the last 2,000 years, and he will be faithful should he tarry for the next 2,000 years. If Jesus rose from the dead, and that word is true, then everything else he says is true as well. Here's why I serve Jesus. Why do I put my faith in Jesus instead of Joseph Smith? Why do I put my faith in Jesus instead of this new age nuns? What are the nuns? I'm not talking about sisters who practice celibacy in the name of Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this rise of the nuns. This disease that is spreading across this nation and around the world where it is popular to believe in nothing. We came from nothing. We returned to nothing. Why have I put my faith in Jesus? I'll tell you why. Number three, because Jesus won. He won. 
And, and, and listen, this is not about me being victorious. This is about him being victorious through me. Jesus won. Can I? Some of y'all aren't going to like this. But if I read in this book that Lucifer took a third of heaven, attacked the army of God, killed his son, kept him dead, and established his kingdom here on earth, guess what Chris would be? Because I don't like to lose. God put it in me. I think it's time for the church to stop whining and stop being satisfied with losing. Come on, I, I came to tell somebody today, if you're not winning on behalf of the kingdom of God, it's because you don't understand who you are in Christ. But when you understand who you are in Christ, you understand that the victory has already been determined, that God knows what's happening, but he knows who he is, and he knows what he's going to do about it. So as long as I put my faith in him, then I don't have to worry about death, hell, or the grave, because I serve the God that already overcame all three of them. I ain't got time. I'm going to do it anyway. Luke chapter 4. This is where we started. The Bible says that Jesus waded out into the Jordan River. Can you see him? He walks over to John the Baptist and says, I want you to baptize me. John the Baptist made a mistake. He said, I'm not baptizing you. He said, oh, you're going to baptize me. He said, yes, sir. The Bible says that John the Baptist baptized Jesus, the Son of God. When he came up out of the water, everybody around there heard a voice from the heavens say, This is my Son, in whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. What did Jesus do to deserve that kind of favor coming from the mouth of the Father? Nothing. The only thing that he did to deserve that kind of favor was be the son. Because when you're the son, you don't need to perform for the presence. Come on, somebody. You just walk in it. And every time that you obey what God tells you to do, God says, this is my son. This is my daughter. I love them and I'm pleased with them because I know where they've been, but I know where they're going. And as long as they stay in me, I'm going to get them all the way through. And then the Bible says this that he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. It's not a dove. You can shoot dove, eat dove. It's good. But he descended like a dove. You ever seen a dove descend? It makes my heart happy. Oh, I love October. Not a big fan of April. It's getting kind of hot. Descended like a dove. And then watch this. The Bible says they had a Holy Ghost hoedown and they built a chapel right there and they just came back and forth and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they ran around in circles and they ran over people that didn't understand and they started speaking in tongues and scaring everybody off. Nope, it's not what it said. It says he come up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and the Spirit led him into the wilderness. God, why am I here? Because I'm working on you. God, why do I have to go through this? Because I'm working on you. God, why does this hurt so bad? Because I'm working on you. And Jesus goes out in the wilderness for 40 days. See, we read about the top three temptations. And we think that Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days and then the devil showed up at the end. But that's not what happened. The Bible says that the devil tempted him every day for 40 days. He was after him. Here's what, watch, listen, hear me, hear me. Jesus got out of the water soaking wet. He didn't change. He didn't clean up. He didn't even wash his nappy head. Come on, somebody. He, wa <laughs> he walked out in the wilderness wet, cold, 
into the desert. No food, no water, no weapon. And for 40 days, Jesus was tempted and tried by Lucifer and a third of heaven. Just him and the Holy Spirit. For 40 days, no substance, no security, no covering. He's in the desert of Israel. The sun is being, the devil had 40 days to burn him to death. The devil had 40 days to starve him to death. The devil had 40 days to cause him to die because his thirst could not be quenched. He had 40 days to freeze him to death in the night sky of the desert that gets colder than most evenings. 40 days he tried him, he tempted him, and Jesus walked through every tribulation that hell had to offer all by himself, just him and the Holy Spirit. And then we read it in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. The Bible says, and then Jesus returned. He returned to Galilee. He returned to the land. He returned to the word. He returned to the people. He came out of the greatest challenge and the greatest temptation that anybody has ever been through. And the Bible says that he came out on the other side filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And the word spread across the land in a way that they could not contain all they had to do is produce the dead body of the Nazarene they had 40 days <laughs> 40 days all they had to do was produce the dead body but on the 50th day Peter stood with the 11 and he proclaimed the message of the day. I know that Jesus was crucified and I know that he was buried. Paul pointed at the same people and he said, Jesus Christ, whom you have crucified, has been raised from the dead. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, having been tempted by the devil himself and having rebuked the name of Jesus with nobody else around but a little girl to deny it to. And Peter came out on the other side because the whole thing is over whenever they couldn't produce a body. And if they could believe in then, then we can believe in now. Oh, come on. I'm about to give the devil a back out. I'm about to Chris Rock Lucifer right now in front of everybody. If he came back then, he's coming back again. If he came back from 40 days of Lucifer, then you can go through hell and back and come back too. Jesus said, I'm coming back. I came back. I've always been. I will always be. And if I'm there in the past and I'm there in the future, then I'm there right now in the present. Somebody open up the scroll of Isaiah and say the Spirit of the Lord is all up over me. I came in the name of Jesus to proclaim the good news. I came in the name of Jesus to set the captive free. I came that the blind eye would be open, that the deaf ear would be unlocked, that the dead would rise, and the people of God in the last day would be built up in the Spirit of God, accomplishing the will of God, because Jesus is the only way, the time of the Lord's favor. Come on, worship him for a minute. He's my first time. 
came to tell you he won't. And if he came back, then you can come back. If he came back, then we can come back. If they could believe him then, then we can believe him now. He is still faithful. He is still true. He is still the only way. Just remain standing in this room. I want to invite you today. I told you in February 2006, I confessed Jesus as Lord. I made this covenant. Father, I will follow you for the rest of my life. God, with all of my heart from this day forward, I will follow you. I didn't repeat a prayer after anybody, although I'm for that because sometimes I needed help. I just declared from this day forward, I will follow you. And then I told her, if you'll follow me to follow him, then you can trust him to trust me. And that's all we've been doing for the last 14 years of our marriage and the last 16 years of our lives is just following Jesus. Why did I put my faith in Jesus? Because he's the only way because he has always been and he will always be true to his word. And the last time I checked, he won. So why should I worry as long as I'm walking with him? Will you give him your life today? Come on, all over this room. If you need to give your life to Jesus, so you need to give your life back to Jesus. As the church is praying and the church has been challenged today, I wanna invite you right now. Would you confess Jesus as Lord? Would you enter into the marriage Come on, if that's you, I want to invite you to open your hands right where you are in a posture of surrender. And I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. I'm going to ask you to use your mouth to confess and to surrender that Jesus is Lord of my life from this day forward. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the promise of God, and he's true to his word. Come on, if that's you, let's pray this prayer together. Come on, say it with me. Heavenly Father. I come to you in Jesus' name. I believe that you gave your life so I could live. You died on a cross because you wanted to. You shed your blood for me and my sin, but you were raised from the dead so I could be born again, a new creation in Christ Jesus. So take my life and make it yours. May I follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. I surrender all, every desire, every concern, everything I have is yours, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Come on, can you give God praise today?